0: Our God and Father, Lord, hallowed be thy name. God, we do praise you. Lord, you are amazing. You're awesome. You're glorious. And we thank you. We thank you that you are the Holy God and that we have a Holy God to look to. We thank you for your holy love which motivated you to send your son Jesus to die as a sacrifice in our place. Oh Lord, we are grateful. We thank you. We thank you for your blessed Holy Spirit whom you have granted to us and for the good work that he works in our heart each and every day causing us to know you and to love you. We thank you for all the good things that you're doing in our lives, for the peace and the joy that you bring us. God, for the security that you bring us even in our dark days, the comfort, the consolation. Oh, Lord, even when we're walking through the most darkest of life's trials, you are with us, and we thank you. And then, Lord, even that you would fill us with your joy, the joy of heaven here on earth. And that, God, we might enjoy you and experience you and, and have the hope of eternal life. We thank you. Oh, Lord, your promises are many and vast, and we honor you for them. Lord, today we ask that you would strengthen our faith, that you would help us to know and understand your gospel more completely. I pray, Father, that uh, even for today's high topic, that you would grant us the eyes of faith, the the hearing ear, that, Lord, that even though we struggle with these great truths, that you would cause us to believe what your word says by faith to somehow ascend to the knowledge of your sovereignty we thank you that by your good providence you did call us and draw us to yourself Oh Lord we thank you that even now you live in our hearts by faith we honor you and we bless you in Jesus name amen so uh, today it's my honor to talk to you about the sovereignty of God and salvation and this is really a topic that takes more than one Sunday. but I think one Sundays all we get in this series. So I'm hoping to offer you a question and answer time if somebody can try to remind me about ten, twenty to knock off and to maybe take some questions that way, if there's anything that's not real clear, I can point you to some resources beyond our class that will help you understand, okay? Because these topics are really intense and deep, uh, simple yet profound, amen? And so it, it, it may be, you know, the sovereignty of God and salvation may be something that's familiar to many of you. If you were in our class two years ago, we we, we, we dealt with these these, uh, these doctrines comprehensively, and uh, uh, and with others, you, you may really never have even been exposed to some of the things I'm going to say today, but I want to show you them in Scripture. Not only that, I want to kind of put an emphasis on evangelism and help you to understand how this doctrine works in and alongside of evangelism, okay? And so that's really the purpose here today, is to, is to understand who saves, God saves, And, uh, and, and so that when we are, uh, seeking to preach the gospel to people and bring them to a response to the gospel, we understand that, that, that only truly happens by the power of God's spirit. Amen. And so, um, with that, I want you, if you have your Bible open up to first Corinthians chapter two, one and two, and we're going to be looking at some scripture there, um, And if uh, you don't have your Bible with you, most of the scriptures are printed out on today's handouts. And I'm starting down at the bottom of page 116. The bottom of page 116. And there it says, God is sovereign in salvation. This brings us to the question, then, how does evangelism work? And... um, uh, of course, you know last week we were talking about at some length and degree the fact that sharing the gospel really is is not only our duty but also our privilege, and that it is the responsibility of every Christian to go out and to share the good news of the gospel amen and then not only that, we talked about the weight of that duty and and responsibility that in fact it really is the most important thing in the life of anyone how their relationship is with god amen ultimately that's the eternal and important truth for anyone who's ever lived would you agree and so therefore it's important for us to fulfill that responsibility Um, and that God uses us as the means, if you will, to communicate the message. And what a privilege that is, that we get to be called as servants of God of this great message, of which is the most important of all messages. Amen? And so, uh, of course, we do consider it a privilege to be able to share the gospel with people. And then furthermore, I think when we begin to understand more clearly how god really works in salvation i think it really kind of lets some of the pressure off of us and allows us to be a little bit more bold and a little bit more patient as we're trying to help people come along okay because ultimately we can't turn the light on inside the heart god has to do that work amen and so we we really are just ambassadors we are uh just giving a witness of the things that we have come to know and see and experience in the kingdom of God. Amen? And we're simply trying to communicate those to others as the means that God uses to bring people to faith. Amen? Okay, so um, that discussion about evangelism being a duty and a privilege brings us to the question then, how does evangelism work? Is it really our job to save people? Is the gospel a tool in our hands that we use to save people and cause them to come to faith? Is it really our job to convince people somehow of their need to be saved and of Christ's provision for them to do so? Well, the very clear answer to these questions is no, of course not. And yes, of course. As paradoxical as this may seem, let us not be confused by this, but rather clearly understand the doctrine of salvation as the Bible teaches it. So just to kind of maybe touch on that, what we're saying is, we can't really save anybody. Amen? That's something that God does by the power of the Holy Spirit. However, if you will, we save people when we bring the gospel to them. Amen? And we are the means by which people come to salvation when they hear the message of the gospel. Because the gospel itself, by the working of the Spirit, is the power of God unto salvation. And so, if you will, we're carrying this saving message in hopes that by delivering it, people will be saved. Are you with me? So it's kind of the way we use our words that really causes this paradox, okay? we None of us would say that we save people, amen? But that's really our goal when we're preaching the gospel, is it not? That people would be saved. Not that we would save them, but that they would come to saving faith through the preaching of the gospel by the power of the Spirit. Amen? You with me? And so, in fact, we do seek to try and bring people to salvation. We very aggressively try to do that. Amen? And uh, this, of course, because it is our duty and it is our privilege However, if you will, the gospel is really not a tool in our hands. Nevertheless, in one sense, it is really the very thing that we use to try to bring people to faith. And so there's kind of a paradox in this, okay? But what we need to do is really clearly understand how we are the means. We're simply a mouthpiece, we're simply a witness, we're simply somebody that's bringing information that God uses by the power of His Spirit to cause regeneration. Okay? Are you with me? And so um, we'll talk about that, and we'll see that also from Scripture. So then, in short, God is the one who saves people through the life and death of Christ by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, but He uses the church as a means of telling the message of Christ, so that his elect people can be saved from every tribe and language, people and nation. Therefore, God is sovereign in who will be saved, but we are the means of bringing them to faith by our obedience and sharing the gospel with them, which is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe, regardless of race, class, or gender. And there I'm quoting Romans at the top of page 117 there where it says for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes to the jew first and also to the greek and so there paul is saying that god is not a respecter of anyone's race is he but that the gospel is the power of god for everyone who believes amen and so we simply tell them the gospel facts Hoping that God is working in their heart and bringing them to belief in the truth. Amen. And if that is in fact true, what are we going to see? We're we're ultimately going to see a response of repentance and faith. Amen. Because that is the working of the power of God in regeneration. Are you with me? And so if you will, you can't convince anyone to repent. Repentance is something that's granted by God. Okay, You can't convince anybody to have faith, because faith is the gift of God. God gives faith as a gift, and he does it in regeneration. Are you with me? Okay, let's talk more at length about that. In fact, right in the middle of Paul's definitive teaching about the doctrine of God's sovereignty in salvation, that is Romans chapters 8 through 11, he clearly tells us of our great responsibility to be that, to be the means that God uses by preaching the gospel. Okay, so follow with me what I'm saying here. The, the great definitive passage on the teaching about God's sovereignty and salvation is contained within Romans chapters 8 through 11. Okay, and there Paul goes into great length describing the sovereignty of God and salvation. He describes there what sovereign grace is. Are you with me? Right in the middle of that passage in Romans chapter 10, he makes these statements, and listen to what he says. Romans chapter 10, verses 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Now the answer to all of those questions is what? They can't. They can't. They cannot. Not that they will not, but that they cannot. You understand? Let's go back and look at those questions. Verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 14. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? Right? In other words, if they don't believe in Christ, they can't call upon him to be saved. Amen? Next question. And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How can they believe in a Christ they have not heard of? much less is saving work. Amen? And then the next question, and how, sh- uh, and how shall they hear without a preacher? They can't, because it takes a preacher to tell the message about the Christ who does the saving in which they need to believe so they can be saved. Amen? Are you with me? And so here's Paul pointing to the fact that, listen, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And whoever confesses with their mouth, a few verses before, and believes in the heart that God raised him from the dead, they shall be saved, right? Uh, And yet he points to our responsibility in that. Here he is telling us that God is the one, Romans chapter 8 and 9, who predestines and foreknows and calls and justifies and performs all these acts of salvation, right? Yet he's saying, how are they going to know unless we go out and preach? And so, if you will, he's pointing to our responsibility then and our duty to be the preacher to bring the message, right? And and he does this right smack dab in the middle of the teaching about God's sovereignty and salvation. And so I, I think it's important then for us to see these two truths as side by side, even though they're not necessarily easy to to swallow, okay? They are in tension to some degree one against the other. Nevertheless, they're both entirely true. What truths? The truth that God is sovereign in the saving of people. Nevertheless, they must respond when he gives them the power to do so. Furthermore, we have a duty and a privilege to carry that gospel message to them to be saved. Okay? Are you with me? Nevertheless, these two truths... I mean, which one of us did not choose to follow Christ? We all did. Every single one of us chose to follow Christ. Okay? And I know this is a difficult thing because, again, it's about our use of words. However, why did we choose to follow Christ? Because we were foreknown, predestined, and called by the Spirit of God. Amen? And, of course, that's the doctrine of election, which we're going to talk about here at some length. But nevertheless, there came a point in time and space by the hearing of the message of the gospel and by the working of the Spirit that we made a conscious choice to follow Christ, to receive him as Lord and Master, to employ the gift of faith that God gave us, and that in repentance. Are you with me? Okay. But all of that happened by the working of the Spirit's power. And so we did have a responsibility to respond, and we did respond, amen? But that was a supernatural enablement that was given us by God, okay? So even though there is a tension, who chose who, right? Are you with me? How many of you are familiar with the tension, who chose who? Yeah? ever try to teach somebody that they came to Christ because God chose them from before the foundation of the world? You'll either get an amen or a what are you talking about, (laughs) right? But nevertheless, both truths are true. Are you with me? God did choose us. God did predestine us. God did foreknow us from before the foundation of the world. And it came a point in time, in time and space, by the working of the Spirit's power and by the providence of God that he brought us to faith, and then we did what? We responded wholeheartedly by saying, Lord, to whom else shall I go? You have the words of life. Amen. Not only that, but even in sanctification, day by day, you choose every day. Choose this day whom you will serve. Amen. And you continue to walk in that faith by the power of the Spirit of God who is in you. Right? Right? So what does he say? He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do according to his good purpose. And you see the tension of those, those divine sovereignty and human responsibility right there in those two verses of Scripture. That, by the way, is Philippians two twelve and 13. Okay. So then, in fact... It is because God has elected people from every tribe and language that we are guaranteed some level of success in evangelism. You know, it's funny the way people reason about this. They think, well, you know, if God just chose everybody who's going to be saved, then why should we preach the gospel? Have you ever heard somebody ask that question? (laughs) Okay. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) So I would say... Well, because he commanded us to. That's the first reason. So, you know, God has commandments. I think they're to be fully obeyed. Would you agree? Which includes preaching the gospel and making disciples and all of the rest of the commandments of God. Amen. Are you with me? That's why we ought to preach the gospel. But not only that, because... We are the means that God uses to bring the message to people so that they can be saved. Which ones? The one he called, predestined, and foreknew, and chose from the foundation of the earth. And until we open up our mouth and speak, those ones aren't going to come. Are you with me? That's how God works out the plan of salvation. Amen? And so, if you will, um, it's interesting to think that people want to be in control of what's happening in their life and they are, are uh, neglecting allowing God to be sovereign in their thinking, right? All the while not realizing God is truly sovereign, <laughs> right? And we simply have the privilege to be a means, to be a servant, to, 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 to play a role in the plan of salvation. Amen? And uh, <clears throat> it's it's an interesting thing to think through. But We'll move on here. But, but my point was simply that it's because God has elected people that we're going to have success in evangelism. Are you with me? How do we know if we go to some unreached tribe of people in the world that we're going to have success? Because God has promised that we will have success there. Why? Because the Bible says he's chosen people from every tribe and language and nation and people to the exclusion of none. God is not partial based on on uh, race God is not par- uh, partial based on class or gender or any of those things amen but but God wants all kinds of men to be saved in fact he has chosen that very thing and he will work it out by his providence amen okay so then consider these words from John Stott from his commentary on Ephesians, page 48, in regard to this matter. He says, Let no one say that the doctrine of election by the sovereign will and mercy of God, mysterious as it is, makes either evangelism or faith unnecessary. The opposite is the case. It is only because of God's gracious will to save that evangelism has any hope of success and faith becomes possible. The preaching of the gospel is the very means that God has appointed by which he delivers from blindness and bondage those whom he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world, sets them free to believe in Jesus, and so causes his will to be done. Amen? You see, it's because of the doctrine of election that evangelism is successful. Because it is God who is saving people through the means of us preaching the gospel in evangelism. Yes, Mm ma'am. Amen. Amen. And it's kind of a glorious mystery too, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of biblical analogies, I think, of this point, that it's because of God's love for us that he lets us uh, become agents and means and ambassadors. Think about it. Think about how God is glorified when you open up your mouth and testify about the grace of God in Christ. Amen? It's a glorious thing. And the blessing you get when you see a response, right? I mean, what a glorious thing. (laughs) To see that light come on, you know? It's just an awesome thing. Therefore, it is important for us to grasp the concept that it is God working in the hearts of those he is calling to salvation who will eventually respond to our preaching and be saved. We cannot convince anyone to be saved apart from God's work in regeneration. This is because the natural man does not receive and cannot understand the things of God apart from regeneration. Only the Christian has received the Spirit of God and with him the supernatural ability to know the things freely given to us by God. Now, I want you to look at the Bible with me here. And what I'm talking about here is what what I call the doctrine of natural inability. Okay? And what it means is, is that man is naturally unable to understand the things of God. That's what the Bible says, as I'm going to point out to you here. But that furthermore, it's only by the power of the Spirit of God in regeneration that natural man comes to a supernatural ability to understand and accept the things from God. Okay? Look with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and following. Paul says there, Now we, that is us Christians... "...have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words." But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. And so here Paul points out very clearly in verse 12, that because we have received the Spirit who is from God, we might what? Know the things freely given to us by God. You see that? Verse 12 says that we know the things that are freely given to us by God. Why? Because we haven't received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God. Amen? And the following verse, he says, We didn't learn these things because we were taught by human wisdom. Right? Instead, we were what? Taught by the spirit of God. You understand? Because the Spirit of God speaks to us about spiritual realities. What does that mean? Supernatural realities, family. Realities outside of the natural realm. Because he says, verse 14, the natural man, the man who thinks with human wisdom in the natural realm, listen, he does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. Why? Because he cannot understand them. The Bible doesn't say he will not. It's not a matter of his will. It's a matter of his ability. Here the Bible clearly saying. The natural man cannot understand the things of God. Because they're only ascended to. By the spirit of God who is indwelling. And teaching us to know the things freely given to us by God. Are you with me? So let me kind of explain this another way you cannot come to accept and understand the things of the spirit of god until the spirit of god comes in and enlightens your mind which is why we say or should i say jesus said unless you be born again you cannot see the kingdom of god you understand the spirit of god has to come in and illuminate the mind which is what you're, you're trying to do when you're convincing, trying to convince somebody that Jesus is the Christ. They're looking at you like a deer in the headlights, right? Because they, they don't understand. They can't ascend to that knowledge with human wisdom. There's no way you can convince them that some Jewish carpenter died for their sins against the Holy God 2,000 years ago. That's foolishness to people in this world. Are you with me? And so what has to happen? Regeneration has to happen. Okay? That's why we say regeneration precedes faith. In fact, it is in the process of regeneration that God gives and grants faith. And the nature of that faith is repentant. That's why we also say that God grants repentance. Those are things that God gives. Faith is the gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the the gift of God. Are you with me? So until God gives you that gift of faith, you don't have it to employ. Not only that, you can't ascend to, accept, or understand the things of God. Those are things taught us by the Spirit of God. Are you with me? This is Paul's whole point in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In chapter 2, we're going to look some more at that. But let me go on here. This is why it is often so difficult for us to persuade and convince people of their need to be saved. It is also what we pray for when we ask God to save people. Now think about that. You get on your knees and you pray, Oh God, save my brother, save my sister, save my father, save my child. What are you praying for? You with me? If it's not God who saves, and if he doesn't have the power to save, then what do you ask him for? Are you with me? Think about it. Well, we are asking for God to regenerate them and give them the gift of faith by the power of the Spirit so that they can believe and be saved. This is what Jesus meant when he said to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, now here's a guy that knows his Bible backwards and forwards. Right. Jesus said of Nicodemus, he was the teacher in all of Israel. Right. And, you know, when a Pharisee knows his Bible, he knows his Bible well. Right. He can quote whole sections of the Bible to you. Right. Like chapters from Leviticus. (laughs) Word for word. Right. Right. And and so here's a guy that knows the Bible backwards and forwards. And he comes to Jesus and he says, oh, you know, Lord, you know, you're this great teacher and we have all this respect for you. And Jesus says, hey, let's get right to the point here. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Right? And, of course, Nicodemus, with all his elevated Bible knowledge, answers with tremendous wisdom, Right? You with me? Now here, see First Corinthians 2.14 illustrated in the words of Nicodemus. Lord, how can I enter again into my mother's womb and be born? Right? What's he thinking with? Human wisdom. The wisdom of the world. The natural wisdom of the natural order of creation. He's thinking Birth and kingdoms right he's thinking well i got to get back in my mother's womb how am i going to be born again (laughs) right but jesus is speaking about the birth that comes from the holy spirit amen and he says until that happens nicodemus you can't even see the kingdom of god you don't even have eyes to see why Because the natural man does not accept the things from the Spirit of God. Indeed, they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them, right? Because they're spiritual things. That man needs spiritual life to see that. He's dead in his transgressions and sins. And he must be raised up to heavenly places with Christ in order to see the spiritual realities of sin and death and come to have faith in the Savior and repent by the power of God. Amen? And so, furthermore, this is why we receive so much resistance when telling people the gospel. To people who God is not calling to faith, they have no ability in their natural selves to receive or understand the things of God. And the scripture says that the word of the cross is foolishness to them. That's what the Bible says. The word of the cross is foolishness. And that's why when you try to tell people the gospel, right, before they, they get saved, they're like, that just doesn't sound right to me, man. And they got a hundred reasons why, right? And so you try to come at it from every angle. And, you know, they got an answer for every one of those, you know. And if they don't have an answer, it kind of looks like this. Pfft, I don't get it. You with me? I mean, how many times have we been down that road? Right, And not that you shouldn't try. You should try. You should try to persuade men. You should try to explain the gospel. And, 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 and somehow by God's grace and power, he's going to give them insight. You understand? But you have to understand that comes from God, not from your persuasive words. Are you with me? And that's the point of our topic here. That's where I'm headed. However, listen, the Bible clearly says the natural man does not accept the things of God. They're foolishness to him because he cannot understand them. Okay? And that furthermore, the word of the cross, which is what? The gospel, right? Is foolishness to them. It's foolishness. Okay? The natural mind does not reason to the cross. It doesn't reason to the gospel. Okay? Therefore... God must enable them by the regeneration, by regeneration, in order to have this supernatural ability. You see, it's a supernatural ability that comes from the Spirit of God. The understanding of the cross is a supernatural ability that comes from the Spirit of God. Amen? Okay. This is how God works out salvation in people's lives, by the effectual calling of the Spirit. Okay, so what I did was I pointed you to some web links where there's a lot of information about this truth, okay, which is really my my lessons from two years ago when we taught through this, and so those web addresses are there addressing those three different doctrinal areas: the first is natural inability, the next is regeneration, and the next is effectual calling okay, and effectual calling, if you will, is simply the calling the special calling that God has for his elect people that is the power of God to draw them to Christ and to enlighten their their minds to the understanding of the gospel and to grant them faith and save them okay so if you will the elect are called with an effectual calling a calling that effects salvation Versus the non-elect who simply receive the general call, not the effectual call. Because the gospel goes out to all the world. And whosoever, we go out preaching, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But in the final analysis, who is the whosoever? Those whom he's foreknown, predestined, and called with an effectual calling. Are you with me? We'll go on and talk more about that right now. Consider how clearly this matter is stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18-31, through 31, where Paul gives us some definitive statements about God's sovereignty and salvation. Now, remember the context we just read in 1 Corinthians 2, about we know the things given to us by God because we have the Spirit, and the Spirit has taught us with spiritual words, and that the natural man does not accept and cannot accept the things of God, their foolishness to him. The, the prior context of that is what we're going to look at right now, where Paul is saying that people cannot rationalize the gospel, okay? That people in the world don't think about the gospel in rational terms, okay? They consider it to be foolishness. Paul here is going to expound on that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and following, this is what he says. He says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen? Now, that's a mouthful that Paul has said there. Amen? But I want to point out some of the things that he said there and help you to understand and see how God is sovereign in salvation and how he's saying that the world through its wisdom doesn't come to know God and that because it's foolishness to them. Why? Because they cannot understand. The natural man does not accept the things of the spirit. They're foolishness to him. Indeed, he cannot understand them, right? So he goes on and he talks about our calling, And he says that it's because of our calling, right? That we who are the foolish and the weak and the despised and the base, right? Because of our calling, we believe, right? So that what? What's the purpose in it all? That no man will boast of his wisdom in believing in Christ, Right, But that men, when they try to ascend to it, think it's a bunch of foolishness. Till God comes along and does what? Turns on the light. Amen? So, consider what is meant by the phrase in verse 18. The word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul is here making a distinction between two kinds of people. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. But consider how he describes the distinction between them. The person who is perishing thinks the word of the cross, that is the gospel, is foolishness. And to the one who is being saved, it is the power of God. He continues to draw this out in the following verses, stating that the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. This is to say that it is not a matter of intellectual assent to some common facts about knowing God, for if it were, the world would come to know God simply by reasoning about the facts. He points out that the message indeed does seem like foolishness to the world, and that it is through this foolish message that God is well pleased to save those who believe. Then in verse 24, he he makes a key distinction between those who perish and those who are being saved. He describes those who are being saved as the called and explains that to them, Christ is both the power and the wisdom of God. He then goes on to describe that the calling of the brethren is not because they were wise, mighty, noble, or strong, but instead that God has chosen the foolish, weak, and base, and despised things of the world in order to nullify the wisdom of men so that no man should boast before God. In summary, God has chosen those whom he saves and does affect that salvation in their life by a calling to salvation that causes them to see Christ as wisdom and power, granting them an ability that worldly people who are wise, mighty, noble, and strong do not have. His point is that God saves the foolish, weak, base, and despised in order to show that it is by his doing that people are in Christ Jesus. This is his summary point of this passage in verse 30 where he says, But by his doing, that is by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Listen, by God's sovereign grace, he has called those who are being saved And he has done this in such a way as to nullify the world's wisdom with the foolish word of the cross in order to close the mouth of boasting men so that no one can boast about salvation but rather only give praise to God for what he has done to save. Therefore, he reasons, let him who boasts... Boast in the Lord, verse 30. Why? Because it's by God's doing that people are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God does it by a calling that enables perishing people to believe in Christ as the wisdom and power of God. Amen? You see that? People do not come to Christ by wise intellectual assent but rather by God's divine calling to salvation, which opens eyes to see Christ as his wisdom and power to save. In fact, in the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is explaining this point, making it clear that the only way we come to know and accept the depths and things of God namely, Christ and Him crucified, is by the power of the indwelling Spirit who gives us a supernatural ability to understand and know the things freely given to us by God. This truth about God's sovereignty in salvation is a common theme in the entire Bible and a key to understanding how evangelism and the gospel work in order to save those who God is calling to salvation. We cannot discern who they are. We only know as they respond with supernatural power and understanding of Christ as Savior. You know, when you go around and you're preaching the gospel to people, it's not like they got a big E on their forehead saying, I'm elect. Are you with me? We don't know who God is calling. We don't know whom God has chosen, right? But we see it when we preach the gospel and they respond. Amen? Amen. Not only that, but they respond with a lifelong perseverance, which answers the question. You know, well, <laughs> what what about my uh, you know my cousin Fred? You know, he he came to believe and he got involved in the church and he started reading his Bible and he started confessing to be saved. But you know, now now he's you know living in immorality and he's jacking up with some girl and he's living in drunkenness and 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 we say what what's going on with Fred, right? Well, let me tell you what's going on with Fred. He's certainly not bearing the fruits of regeneration, is he? Amen? Okay, well, so, point is, listen, God is the one who's saving. He's doing it by an effectual calling, by the power of the Spirit. And that these things are crystal clear in the Bible, family. They're not confusing. They're very clear. It just takes some uh, focused prayer and understanding from God to grasp these things right here it is right here in the words of scripture shall we not marvel at these things but yet seek to understand them by the power of the spirit amen yes okay all right therefore it is this understanding that we seek to give them by the message of the word of the cross that is the gospel and to this understanding we all pray Right. This is what we're praying for when we pray for God to help us in in our evangelism. Amen. We're praying for God to open the eyes and turn on the light. Right. So then um, let me just ask. I'll ask right now in here. Is there anybody that has questions about this? Is there something that that uh, uh, maybe I said in the course of that lesson that's confusing or you want clarification? Uh huh. Okay, so does your question maybe revolve around how regeneration precedes faith, or is it faith that precedes regeneration? Right, because that's a hard question. Absolutely. Well, okay, so uh, let me me just, I want to point you to some resources, because I've only got 10 minutes here, okay? So the first thing I want to do is say that this argument or topic or whatever you want to call it is something that really falls into the category of what we call the ordo, Salutus. ordo Salutus. the order of salvation. OK, so in other words, in the Bible, we have all these terms that talk about how salvation happens, what are the different elements of it, and so on and so forth. OK, and if you will, they're presented in such a way in Scripture that some happen before others. Like, for instance, the first one is is uh, for ordination. For ordination, right? Which we might also call predestination. Because these things have to do with time, right? This is predestination. This is for ordination. Those are terms that have to do with time, right? And so when we look at the ordo salutis, we realize, well, what is the first thing that happens in salvation, well, it's God choosing his elect from eternity past. Okay, well, okay, so how does that happen in time and space, right? Well, that happens as, as if you will, salvation is worked out in the course of time and space. And when we get focused on what actually happens at conversion that's when we see these things happening simultaneously. Or should we say it appears that they happen simultaneously, unless the scripture can give us some kind of specific evidence as to one happening before the other, okay? But we can see that clearly when we talk about regeneration and faith because we know what the Bible says about regeneration and we know what it says about faith, and it's clear, therefore, that regeneration must precede faith. For instance, the example that I gave you with Nicodemus and what Jesus is saying, right? His point is, is that unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Then he goes on, unless you're born of the water and of the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God, right? So he's saying that being born again is a prior um, um, uh, condition that needs to be met in order for me to see the kingdom of God. Right. And not only that, also to enter the kingdom of God. Right. Well, furthermore, he tells us, uh, Paul tells us in first Corinthians two, that we can't accept the things of God and a natural man cannot understand them. Right. But in that same passage, he tells us that we know the things freely given to us by God because we have what? The Holy Spirit. Right. So this comes down to an argument about another term I'm going to tell you about, which is called prevenient grace. Prevenient grace is that term that describes the regenerating work of God in bringing the gospel to the understanding of man and granting him faith to believe. Okay, prevenient grace is the granting of faith. So I'm sorry, I'm not going to do a good job at listing out the order of salutis because I can't remember. Does anybody want to help me? For ordination, calling, I know comes after that. And, And then comes regeneration. Regeneration. And then comes faith. And then comes conversion. Right? And what happens in conversion is justification. Right? Come on, help me out here. And sanctification is after that. And after that is? Glorification. Now, I know we missed one, but I can't tell you which one it is. (laughs) (coughs) Repentance is the character of true faith. faith. Faith is really two things. Okay? It's trusting in Christ to the point that one changes their actions by the power of God. Okay? So... Anyway, I hope I answered that. If not, if not, if you'll go look at those two web links, Regeneration and Effectual Calling, that that topic will be addressed. Furthermore, this Ordo Salutis, there's a great section on that in Grudem's Systematic Theology. I think it's chapter 32. It's his chapter on election. The very first thing he deals with is the Ordo Salutis, and he gives a lot of biblical reasons why Regeneration precedes faith. Okay, so that's another resource to help you. Yes, ma'am. You know it could be. It could be. And and I'm sorry. I don't remember. But um, the point is, is that the calling, right, is if you will, a divine action whereby God is bringing us to faith, right? So uh, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think calling. Um. Regeneration comes before calling. Nevertheless, the fact of the matter is, people don't get saved until God does this work. Are you understand? The reason why is because the natural man cannot understand the things of God. (coughs) He cannot understand them. They're foolishness to him. Until the Spirit of God comes along and enlightens the mind and grants the gift of faith. Are you with me? Yes, ma'am. Conviction. Okay, yeah, well, I would say that that's a part of, of the calling. It's one of the things that affects salvation, right? We we hear the law, and the law comes in and slays. It kills us, right? And Paul says, but the opportunity afforded by the commandment brought to, brought to bear in me every kind of sinful work right he says until the law said thou shalt not covet i didn't even know what coveting was but then the commandment sprung forth and i died he says the law said thou shalt not covet then i saw every kind of covetous behavior in me right and so we hear the law of god <laughs> we hear the 10 commandments if you will and we say my how i have fallen short amen and we're convicted right and then the the heart and the conscience of the sinner trembles before god Oh, no, I'm subject to the judgment of God. Where shall I flee? Right? right. And even if I flee to the remotest part of the earth, I cannot escape the eyes of God's judgment. Amen? There's only one refuge from sin, family. It's the refuge that God provides for it. Are you with me? Any other questions? Right, Ex- except does the light come on universally for all men, with a, with a simple, rational understanding of the gospel. Well, I meant, I meant right, and I agree wholeheartedly. So let me, let me just affirm and agree with you that, yes, in fact, I believe what you're saying is true. Furthermore, I think this is why it's so important for those of us who are in the church to be able to clearly articulate the gospel. Because really, you know, so many people have so many misconceptions about the gospel, especially in a post-Christian culture like we have. You understand what's happened to the truth of the gospel that in our culture was once more, once before, much more clear than it is now, okay? Just among the general populace, okay? Now we have to even argue for the existence of God, much less, right, God's provision to save people who are separated from sin, and and um, and so we have a lot further to go in bringing people to understand. Therefore. it's important for us to be able to clearly articulate the elements of the gospel, okay? And I think what happens a lot of times, we're able to clearly articulate the traditions that we uh, have in Christianity, or we're able to clearly articulate what we do as Christians, or we're able to clearly articulate what church life is about, and we're missing the essential facts that bring somebody to saving faith, namely the gospel, are you with me? And that's what I'm saying is that, you know, people hear us talking uh, about morality and about our religious traditions, and they hear us talking about all this kind of thing, and, and really we're skirting the issue, okay? And And people hear us saying, if you will, you can have your best life now, and God loves you, and God has a plan for your life, and all these other euphemisms that we've talked about. Are you with me? Rather than getting to the meat of the gospel, this is what Paul said right after that in chapter 1, The first part of chapter 2, he says, look, I was determined to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. You understand, Paul was focused on the word of the cross. He says, I did not come to you with superiority of speech or with persuasive words of wisdom. But he says, instead, in fear and in trembling, he says, I brought you the word of the cross, that is, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Understand and that's the thing I think, T that you're saying we need to be able to clearly articulate the gospel truth and, and, uh, and I agree, and I, I think that that's something that, uh, that we really need to grow in in evangelical Christianity, if we even can use that term anymore. you know we need to be able to clearly articulate the gospel, and that's really our, our role as a gospel minister, because we can't turn the light on but we certainly can give them the message in a manner that's clear and perspicuous that helps them to see clearly what the message is amen and i think the more simple and clear that we're able to present that in the life context of the person that we're speaking to then 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 uh, if you will the easier it is for them somehow to see but but nevertheless family that will never happen they will never see until God, by His sovereign grace, turns on the light. Okay? Salvation is by the Spirit of the Lord, and by His sovereign grace, it happens no other way. Okay? And, and, and this is something we, we must understand. It is God who saves people, according to His own sovereign will. Okay? It's not according, Romans nine sixteen to Him who wills, or Him who runs, but on God who has mercy. Okay, and uh, so I think I'm out of time. Okay, I'm out of time. Let's pray. God, our Father, Lord, we honor you and we praise you. And, oh Lord, I I realize we have touched on a very high and and uh, and deep and broad topic this morning. I pray for those within my hearing who may be somewhat confused. I pray that you will lead them, God, to the truth. Lead them to an understanding. Help them, O Lord, to understand this great truth about your sovereign grace. Lord, not only that, I pray that this would motivate us to realize that we are promised success in evangelism. That, God, you are calling and saving women and men from every tribe and language and nation and people. God, I pray that we would be zealous gospel ministers, uh, gospel ministers who can clearly articulate the gospel to those who you have placed in our life for us to testify and to be a witness of you. I pray, Father, that we would realize this is our duty and it is our privilege and that indeed you've given us the spirit so that we can be a witness even to the remotest part of the earth. We thank you. For your glorious plan of salvation, I pray God that we would be excited to be participants in it all. And God, even in all of its mystery and in all of your awe-struck being and power, I pray God that we would would uh, would would simply uh, surrender to your will and to your purpose. God, that we would open up our mouths and testify of your goodness and of your grace. May we tell of your mighty works and may your praise continually be in our mouths. We honor you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.